Well, I read, uh, I read a short story this week um, that was shared by a pastor named John Corson. He's a retired pastor from California. And the story kind of adeptly illustrates the heart behind this morning's message. Corson's church, uh, they had a mission that they ran out of Mexico that was for orphans with disabilities. And one day, the, uh, the orphanage received a donation of an above-ground pool that the kids could use. And so they received this pool, but uh, the pool came in hundreds of pieces. And so the staff tried and tried to put that pool together and could not figure out how to put that pool together for the children, and so it kind of laid to the side for a couple days. And then a few days later, the mission received a phone call from a man who was attending Bible college in the area, and the man told him, I just feel like the Lord is telling me to come and visit your mission, Uh, but I need you to know I, I can't do much. I'm not a Bible teacher, I'm not a children's worker, I'm not a cook, I'm not a gardener, uh, but I just feel like I should come. And so, of course, the mission was happy for any help they could get, and they invited the man to come visit them. And before getting off the phone, the mission worker who was talking to the man asked him, well, by the way, what did you do before you were in Bible school? And the man's response was, I spent 20 years installing above-ground pools. And so as Corson tells the story, the man arrives, and within four hours of his arrival, the children were swimming in the pool at the mission. I share that story because it illustrates the point of what we are talking about this morning, that in Christ, we are one body made up of many members, and every single member is needed for the body to function as it should. Because each one of us has a part to play in Jesus' body that the other members were not created or gifted to do. That's the whole heart of my message this morning. Last week, we began this new series entitled Gifted for Love, and this series is focused on understanding the gifts of the Spirit. And the aim of this series is to encourage us to understand that we are all uniquely gifted to do what God has given us to do. And so before we began considering the gifts of the Spirit, we took time last week to lay some groundwork that we're going to build upon over the next several weeks in this series. Last week, we examined the importance of unity in Jesus' church. And I briefly outlined last week how in every single scripture where Paul addresses spiritual gifts or lists the offices that have been given to the church, the overarching theme is not that Paul is marveling in the gifts themselves, but rather the theme that Paul has is a theme of unity in the body of Jesus Christ and how the gifts and the offices serve to uphold and contribute to that unity. So a principle that I want us to remember from last week and in the weeks to come as we talk about spiritual gifts is this, that where the gifts are practiced in a church without the members of that church being rooted in loving unity with one another, chaos and division will ensue. Because the gifts will be misused rather than practiced for the common good as God intended them to be used for the building up of 
the church. So you and I, we must remain eager to maintain the loving unity of the church. And we talked about how we do this last week. Paul says we do this by walking in humility, by walking in gentleness, by walking in patience, and by walking in forbearance with one another. Because it is in that kind of atmosphere that the gifts which God has given to each member of this body will be practiced appropriately. At the end of last week's message, we started to shift our focus from Paul's emphasis on unity to the reality that while we are to maintain unity in Jesus' church, we are not all the same, right? Jesus' church desires, God wants unity, not uniformity in His church. He wants unity amidst variety, And how God has given the gifts to the church are an example of the uniqueness of his church and the makeup of it. He has intentionally created the members of his church to be unified and yet different from one another. We ended last week on Ephesians 4, verse 7 to 8, where it says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So in verse 7, Paul says, God gave grace. God gave grace to each one of us. And what Paul means by grace there, when we follow the context of what he's saying throughout the rest of Ephesians chapter 4, is the grace that God has given us is the manifestation of the gifts and the offices that he has given to his church. The gifts of the Spirit and the offices of the church, the apostles, the shepherds, the teachers, the prophets, and the evangelists are manifestations of God's grace for His people. And Paul alludes to the different natures and function of each person's gift in the body of Jesus, saying that each gift has been given to us according to the measure or the amount that Jesus has deemed appropriate. And so the Lord who knew us, who knew you before you were born, who knit every hair on your head, who created us in Christ Jesus for good works, as we looked at not too long ago in Ephesians 2.10, has purposely decided what gift or giftings would be bestowed on each one of us and in what amount that gift or giftings would be given all according to the work that he has for us to do. This concept is very similar to the concept that we find Jesus teaching in the parable of the talents. In speaking about the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says in Matthew 25, 14 to 15, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Each servant was given a different allotment of talents. And the master's expectation was that they would be faithful with the talents that they were given to them. The master had different expectations of each one of his servants shown in the amount of talents that he gave gave to each one. But he had the same expectation that every single one of them would be faithful with the amount that they were given. Each one of us has been given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
And this is what Paul implicitly talks about in Ephesians 4, about the diverseness of Jesus' church within its unity. And then he explicitly teaches this in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul teaches plainly that God has intentionally designed his church to be a united yet varied entity. You and I are not the same. Jesus' church is not made up of clones. We, are, we each bring our own unique experiences. We each bring our own unique personality and passions and skills and giftings. And as I said last week, that is what makes Christ's body so beautiful and so challenging because of the differences within our unity. The uniqueness of the members of Jesus' body is one of the reasons why many different expressions of Jesus' church. It's one of the reasons why you will step into some churches and the music will be incredibly loud and everybody's hands will be up. And when the pastor is preaching, everybody's talking back to the pastor as much as he's talking, right? And then you'll go into other churches and it'll be quieter and it'll be more reverent. Maybe no one's hands are in the air. Maybe they're singing hymns. Nobody's talking back to the pastor or amening him. All of this is part of the uniqueness of how Jesus' church was made intentionally by God. Even within a local body itself, you are going to see different expressions, different personalities, different ways that reflect the uniqueness of every single person that is a part of Jesus' body. If you just look around here on a Sunday morning while we are worshiping together, you will see all different expressions of Jesus' body in this place. And it's beautiful. It is beautiful because it's how God made it to be. United and unique. And so we should celebrate that. Not be afraid of it, but celebrate it. Paul highlights this reality in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 12 that Rochelle read for us. And so we're going to go through this scripture this morning, and we're going to consider how God arranged Jesus' body with intentionally distinct members. And we're going to look at a couple of points of division that can occur because of this. And hopefully, as we go through it, we will be encouraged to see the purposeful hand of God in our midst. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is trying to teach and correct the church in Corinth about how to understand the spiritual gifts because the gifts were causing division in that church where some members were discouraged about their gifts and other members were a little bit too puffed up about theirs. And so Paul uses a very plain but very effective illustration of how the members of Jesus' body and how the members of the church should relate to one another by comparing it to the human body. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12, he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Paul's basically saying, you don't look at your arm and look at your leg and look at your hands and go, those are all different bodies. We say they're all members of one body, and so it is with Jesus' church. You know, Paul's favorite designation to describe the identity of a follower of Christ is to say that we are 
in Christ. Paul uses that constantly as an identifier for Jesus' people, that we are in Christ. And that describes the reality that we have been united to Jesus in faith so that our being is in him and he is in us. And that concept fits really well with Paul's description of the church as a body. Paul says in verse 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so Paul says, regardless, regardless of your background, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you are a slave or free, if you have faith in Jesus, you are one in Christ. This is, this is so important for us to understand our identity and who we are. Whatever human distinctions defined us apart from Jesus, whether it be our ethnicity, whether it be our personality, whether it be our family of origin or our social status or otherwise, all of those distinctions are now transcended by our oneness in the body of Jesus. That is our greatest identity. Being in Christ and a part of his body is our identity beyond all other distinctions. Because all of the other identifiers that we put upon someone, whether it be spouse or parent or worker or child or whatever it is, should flow from, are informed by, and lived out of our identity in Christ. In Him, we all share the same Spirit that Paul says we were made to drink. And that sounds kind of weird. We were made to drink. But he's just referring to what occurs when we come to faith, that the Spirit of God comes to dwell within us. That's what Paul means by we've all drank of the same Spirit. And so in verse 12 and verse 13, Paul is laying foundation for understanding the unity, but not the uniformity in the body of Jesus. And then in verse 14 to 20, Paul addresses two, the first of two issues that can arise in the body in relation to giftings that can cause division between the members of the body. And the first issue that Paul addresses is the feeling of inadequacy. Look what he says in verse 14 to 20. He says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So in these verses, it seems that Paul is likely addressing some struggles that some of the members of the body in the Corinthian church were, were dealing with. They, who were considering themselves as less gifted than others in the body. They were looking at the giftings of other members, and they were concluding, well, I can't do that. I'm not 
like that. And so I don't have anything to offer to the body. These feelings of inadequacy were likely fueled by the church of Corinth celebrating certain gifts while dismissing others. And to do so is arrogant, and it dismisses how God created his church. And I think it's quite likely, this is conjecture, but I think it's quite likely that the church in Corinth was elevating speaking gifts over all others, specifically prophecy and speaking in tongues. And the reason why I come to that conclusion is because Paul spends an entire chapter in chapter 14 talking about prophecy and speaking in tongues. And so I'm guessing there was a, an unusual focus on those in the church in Corinth. And so these gifts were being elevated, and certain members in the church were going, well, I can't do that. I have nothing to offer. And Paul addresses those feelings of inadequacy. He says in verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would make it no less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Continue with that, that metaphor. In God's design of the foot, it is unable to do some of the complex tasks that we can do with our hands. Right? It's not capable of some of the things that the hand can do. It's not as flexible of the hand. It can't do the intricate and precise tasks that the hand can do. We are not going to perform surgery with our feet. It's not going to happen. And so because of that, the foot may be seen as lowly in comparison to the hand, as though it's less important. The, the foot even spends most of its days in the dark in shoes, right, walking in the dirt. It's got a lower position on the body. And so we could look down at the foot and think it's less than the hand. But the reality is the foot bears the weight of the whole body. The foot is what makes the body move forward one step at a time. So while its function is different and, yes, less complex than the hand, it has a unique task in the body that is invaluable that no other member of that body can do. And this is what Paul's getting at about Jesus' church. And he uses the same comparison between the ear and the eye. Paul's point is obvious. Those with less prominent giftings are invaluable to the body. And they are as invaluable to the body as those with more prominent giftings. Now you may be asking, what do I mean by prominent giftings? Well, in the church, the giftings that are given more prominence tend to be the speaking gifts, like teaching and like prophecy, while others have different gifts, like service and mercy and administration. And those gifts often go less noticed in the body because they are more naturally practiced behind the scenes. They're not at the front. But one should never conclude that that means they are not as valuable. You know, envy can be a real problem in the human heart. So much of a problem that God included it in his Ten Commandments. So it's a bit of a problem. Envy is detrimental to an individual functioning as they should. Because it causes us to think, well, I'm 
not that, so what's the point? And we often envy those who do things that we wish we could do. But that's partly what Paul's warning against. Let me give you an example. If your gifting is hospitality and another's is prophecy, are you envious because that person prophesies thinking that it's more important in the body? Don't think that. Because I can tell you for sure that a God-given word of prophecy or a God-given gift of hospitality both equally encourage someone. Like there are times where someone has a gift of prophecy and you receive a word from that person and you just light up. And there are times where you walk to, you go to someone's house and they just have that supernatural gift of hospitality where you walk into the house and like they just make you feel like you're just the most important person. You just feel so built up and so encouraged by how they serve you. Both are equally encouraging in the body. Both are equally needed in the body. You know, if, you, if we have the gift of prophecy, but we don't have the gift of hospitality or the gift of mercy or the gift of service, I can assure you one thing. No one's coming to hear the prophecy. It's just the reality. Because they're going to get to the door and they're not going to be welcomed and the church is going to be rude and they're not going to want to come back. Like, where's the hospitality? Where's the service? Where's the mercy? Where's the love? Those are the things that bring people in the door. Those are the things that get people connected to the church. It's those kinds of gifts. I think Paul is also quite intentional in the comparisons that he uses, where he compares the foot to the hand and the ear to the eye. Because while we envy gifts that we don't have, we also have a tendency of envying those who have similar gifts to us, but are a little bit further along than us, or maybe a little bit more gifted than ourselves. You see, I think Paul was intentional because the foot and the hand both have to do with movement. And the ear and the eye both have to do with our senses. And we have this tendency to envy those who are a little bit further along, a little bit more gifted than us. And so as a pastor, my envy, or my envy is not going to be, I don't know, Blair's gift of music. Well, maybe music a little bit. But I'm more likely to look at pastors who are maybe more gifted speakers than me, better leaders than me, and kind of feel like, oh, I can't do that. Because we often envy those who are a little bit further along than us. Paul's point is this, to look at someone and think, because you aren't like them, because you don't have their gifting, or that you don't have as much of a gifting, that you have nothing to contribute is completely wrong in Jesus' body. A diverse amount of gifts are required in God's church, and a diverse amount of abilities within those gifts are needed to do the work of ministry. The reason you don't have the same gift as someone else is completely intentional. 
Because God is making space for you to use your gift in the body of Christ. That's why Paul says in in verse 14, For the body does not consist of one member, but many. He's saying, don't consider that there's one gifting that represents all of Christ's body. There's not. Every gifting represents Christ's body in its own way. And all are needed to see the full representation of Jesus' body. Then he says in in verse 17 and 18, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. It's intentional. So after addressing those who felt they were not needed because they weren't as gifted or weren't gifted in the area that they thought was most honored in the Corinthian church, Paul then turns to address the second issue. And the second issue is feelings of self-sufficiency. Look at verse 21 to 24. It says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Paul's saying those with gifts that are often thought of as more prominent gifts, that are more prominent role in the church, like those who have a teaching gift or a leadership gift or a prophetic gift, have absolutely no right to look upon members who have a less prominent gift and think those members are not needed. That's foolishness. To, to clarify, when Paul says the weaker or the less honorable parts in verse 22 and 23. He's in no way referring to sin or anything like that, just in case you're thinking that. He is simply referring to giftings that are less prominent, giftings that are less distinct, giftings that are less outwardly seen in the church. And notice that he says the parts of the body that seem weaker. I love that he says that. This is the parts of the body that seem weaker. You're making an assumption to think that they actually are. No, no. They're not as prominent. They are different, but they are not weaker. They are indispensable. Paul says on those parts of the body, we bestow more honor and treat them with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. What he means is, Those in a prominent role often naturally receive honor from the nature of their role. They don't require more to be showered upon them. It is the members working in the less seen roles that we bestow more honor upon. This idea is very similar to the concept that Jesus teaches when he's talking to the rich young ruler. Jesus says in Matthew 19, verse 30, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. There are many who are considered first in rank, 
yet we will find that they are last in the kingdom of heaven. And those who were noticed least on earth will be first in the kingdom of heaven. And so understand your importance in the body of Jesus. Never dismiss yourself as not useful. And never conclude that you are more useful than others. We all have a role to play. Barclay, in his commentary, he says, whenever we begin to think about our own importance in the Christian church, the possibility of really Christian work is gone. That's good. Whenever we think we are more important than we actually are, we have ceased to do real Christian work. And so we must realize and live according to the truth that God has arranged the body intentionally. And he did so, as Paul says in verse 25 and 26, that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. God intentionally arranged his church with the purpose of preventing division so that each member has their place and everyone celebrates what each one does. That we recognize and we don't sit there in envy and go, oh, why can't I do that? We sit there and we go, I know what you've gifted me to do and I am so glad that you have gifted them to do that. Because I can't. But them doing that is grace to me. And that's how we view the body of Christ. When we understand that there is space for each of us in the work God has for his body, we will make space for one another and we will celebrate each other rather than envy our difference. And out of that, we will care for one another we will have equal concern when there's, a, there's a, a member of this body who's sick, who's maybe not functioning as they should. Prominent role or not, we recognize, oh my goodness, we're missing them. There's a hole there. We understand that a whole cannot function unless every member is functioning. And when we understand that, we will honor each other in the giftings that God has given. And we will celebrate the personalities in this church. And we will celebrate the unique giftings. And we will celebrate the unique differences, knowing that they are all a part of how God has put this church together for the glory of his name and for the purposes that he has here in our midst. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would make us one. I thank you that you have made us one in Jesus, and I pray that that oneness would continue to grow in him. 
Lord, I pray that as a church, we would walk in humility towards one another, that we would walk in grace towards one another, that we would bear with each other, knowing that every single one of us is needed, that every person in this room has a gift of grace that is for this church. Lord, I pray that each one of us, we would serve knowing that, that we would desire to serve our brothers and sisters in the gifting that you have given us, in the unique talents that you have given us. I know the reality of your church is that you make space for those that you have brought. And so, Father, may we want to shower the grace that you have given us onto those around us. And may we never think that we have no part to play. And may we never, ever think that we do not need those around us. Father, make us one in Christ. Grow in us love for one another. Grow in us unity so that we may rejoice when one is honored and we may lament when one is hurting and we may have equal care for every single one. It cannot be done in the natural, but through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in each of us, you are able. Make us one. In Jesus' name, amen.